Folks, I'm hairy everywhere. It's not good. Knuckles, back, chest. There's hair in places that I don't even know how it got there. I'm shaving a lot and I'm spending a ton of money on razors and I was sick of it. And I was thinking, well, you know, maybe it's because those billion dollar shave companies overload their razors with ridiculous shave tech you don't need. Do you really need a razor with a vibrating handle, back scratcher, and laser pointer? I don't. I was sick of paying out of the nose for it, so I switched to dollarshaveclub.com, and you need to, too. Dollarshaveclub.com sends amazing quality razors and other cool bathroom stuff right to your door for a couple of bucks a month. It really couldn't be any easier than that. Dollarshaveclub.com doesn't waste their money on ridiculous gimmicks. It's just great quality blades that are, frankly, better than the blades you get from those big, expensive companies. Signing up couldn't be easier. Just go to dollarshaveclub.com, pick a razor plan. There's three to choose from. Then every month, like clockwork, you're going to get a package in the mail. And they got other great stuff too, like Dr. Carver's Easy Shave Butter and One Wipe Charlie's, the peppermint-infused butt wipes for men. Mm, mm, mm. So folks, come on. Join me and everyone at the Paul Mercurio Show today and the hundreds of thousands of other guys who've upgraded to the smarter way to shave already. Shave time, shave money, join dollarshaveclub.com slash Paul. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash Paul. Warriors, come out to play. Warriors, come out to play. One gang, nothing would move without us allowing it to happen. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. I am so psyched to have my guest be Sugar Ray Leonard, boxing great champ, just uh, somebody that I grew up watching and so excited to talk to. We get into a whole bunch of stuff about boxing, his amazing fights with Roberta Duran, uh, Tommy the Hitman Hearns, and uh, Marvin Hagler. And just sort of how he, his, how he approached boxing and sort of the psychology of boxing and why a person gets in the ring, gets his face punched a bunch of times and doesn't say, you know what, uh, I'm going to go play tennis instead. Really cool conversation with Sugar Ray. Check me out doing stand-up this week, February 20th to the 22nd. I'm going to be at the Baltimore Comedy Factory in Baltimore, Maryland. Follow me on Facebook, uh, Paul Mercurio, Twitter, at Paul Mercurio. And please keep spreading the word about the podcast, everybody. Enjoy Sugar Ray. We got the streets, suckers! Can you dig it? Anyway, I'm welcoming to the podcast. Very excited to, uh, this is uh, kind of a dream come true. I grew up watching this man on the world stage, uh, the great Sugar Ray Leonard. Uh, Thank you so much for doing this, Ray. Really appreciate you being on the podcast today. Hey, Paul. Thanks so much for having me, buddy. Absolutely. Um, so I finally get to ask a question that I and my friends who've been boxing fans always wanted to ask. Um, why, why does a person box? In other words, in terms of all the sports, you know, that's the one to me that's the most requires the most uh, courage. It's pretty brutal. And I understand if somebody's coming from poverty and it's their only way out of a you know bad situation. But but that which not, wasn't necessarily the case in your in your upbringing. But what what is it about this this sport that draws people, and, and why do people do this? Because it is so it can be so brutal. Well, Paul, it, I'm glad you asked that question. But it, it is it's a poor man's sport. 
but it's one of those sports because it's mono mono. It's pretty primal, mm. uh, but it's a sport that is for me personally has mm. kept me off the streets in my mm. neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It, it's a sport that, and although at the, at, the, at the very beginning I was not looking towards a profession, mm-hmm. uh, I was looking forward to being in the Olympics, which, you know, was like, it's huge. Right. An accomplishment. Right. And I train hard, and to train hard and to to stick in there, to hang in there, mm-hmm. you got to have that intentional fortitude, you got to have that desire, you got to have that, that want. That's yeah. thing. Yeah. And, and does that, I mean, does that ever wane for you going through a career like yours? I mean, I know you, you've talked about um, in past interviews and in the books, you know, like sort of the Olympics was sort of the goal. And then the idea was to, you were going to go to the University of Maryland, I believe. But then, you know, sort of circumstances changed and you decided to go pro. You had a child to support and parents who were sick. I mean, was that looking back the right decision for you? Obviously, you were hugely successful, but if you had to do it again, is that the way you'd go? I would do it over and over again, a thousand times. <laughs> I mean, really think certain things are meant to be. I mean, it's predestined. Yeah. The fact that, I mean, why me of all these millions of boxers that right. turned professional had nothing short of a illustrious boxing career and life and was in a position to help their parents and help their brothers and sisters and help their friends and, and help the world, if you will. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been an amazing journey. Sometimes, Paul, I, I pinch myself. Yeah. Did this really happen or is this really still happening? Yeah. And it's been yeah. fantastic. Who did you who did you admire that motivated you in the ring? I mean, coming up. I mean, I know your 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 uh, your brother sort of was the one that kind of got you into boxing. Uh, but in, in terms of like, had you had your eye on boxing as just a, even just a sports fan, or like, I mean, there had to be some some fire kindling in the back of your mind about this, or was it just something you just said, hey. You know, I, I, I was in the same situation, by the way. Like, I mean, I grew up in kind of a tough Italian neighborhood in, in Rhode Island in New England, and my parents had me go to the boys' club all the time to keep me off the street. I ended up being a swimmer, and, you know, I wasn't at Olympic level or anything, but I understand that idea. But were you motivated in uh, in boxing by any particular idols or, or people growing up? Well, without question, my, my big brothers, Roger and Kenny, were my idols. Mm. And I, I was not athletically inclined. I mean, I was not really an athlete at all. Really? I was, yeah, I mean, I was introverted. I played with invisible Character. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but um, I just, you know, for some reason, boxing came to me, or I came to boxing, or we came to each other, yeah. because once I put those gloves on, uh, a second time, because I first started boxing when I was nine, mm-hmm. and the kid punched in the nose, and I quit, <laughs> and then many years, <laughs> years later, I was 14, and living in Maryland, yeah. went to a gym with my, my brother Roger, put the gloves on, and... I mean, it was like, wow, this is it. This is me. Well, what what happened? Look, first of all, and this is gets to something I want to talk about later. The the first reaction when you're nine and getting punched in the face makes a lot of sense to me because I've always said the one time the guy hits me in the face, I'm going to be like, okay, this this is I don't need this. I'm going to go play softball, you know. And so, what what was it five years later that 
changed for you, do you think? I, I don't know. I think it was just the timing. I think it was because everything is pretty much based upon timing. Yeah. And I think that time at 14, I had a little bit more of, I had a little bit more of, 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 of ego. Self-confidence. Yeah. Confidence. You know, I had those factors. Mm-hmm. Whereas at nine years of age, you get punched. You say, I'm going to come back. I remember playing uh, saw a hardball, eight, uh, Little League, eight years old, nine years old, same age. And I just remember thinking, God, that ball's hard and it's coming fast. And if it hits me, it's going to hurt. And the first pitch hits me right in the ribs, right oh. in the ribs. And it hurt. And it took me like a couple of days to get my head around going back up there again. And I never really took to it because I think I was intimidated by that ball, you know. And, uh, yeah. So I, I mean I understand that and um, and when you're when you're in that ring I mean I, I want to talk to you about sort of your ring generalship and sort of I mean I, I think as a fighter would it be fair for the most part to call you a lateral fighter I mean uh, in your career I mean obviously you can go toe to toe and street fight with anybody but was that sort of a fair assessment of you and was that intentional to kind of fight in that style? Well, I, I would I would characterize myself as somewhat of a chameleon. I mean, yeah. I had I had the ability that I worked on, previously, yeah. um, to be able to box, to punch, to be versatile. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, that was well. I don't think I know that that was one of my um, uh, assets mm-hmm. that allowed me to take on you know big guys, short guys, quick guys strong guys and that's right. you know, a major role in my success well it's it's funny because it, it, what always comes through is that people don't who don't really know the sport don't realize how much psychology plays a role in planning and strategy and and you seem to be have been a master at that um but sometimes you get away from it too like you, you mean i think going against Kalul, you were going to do some lateral fighting but you got away from that and didn't do that and maybe that cost you i mean what Talk about that fight a little bit and, and what your strategy was going in and why why you why you got away from that if you did. Well, the first my first loss in, in my professional career was against Roberto Duran back in nineteen eighty, June right. to be right. black. Mm-hmm. And naturally, uh, I I had the the talent to beat him if I stuck with it. But there's also there's a sweet science to boxing people don't realize, mm-hmm. and the fact that there's also psychology. Oh, yeah. All those things are factors in, in, in winning. Mm-hmm. And Durant got to my head, which in return made me not fight what was most effective, and that was lateral movement, mobile mm-hmm. boxing, in and out, out right. of the station. And he took advantage of that, and he wanted to fight. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a great passage in the book, The Four Kings, where I guess you were walking down the street with your wife in Montreal, and he yells out the window, I'm going to kill your husband, I'm going to kill your husband, and you went back to the hotel, and apparently you were just so angry, you just, you wanted to box him, you wanted to fight him instead of boxing him. And, oh, and... I, you, so I wanted to fight him, because what he said <laughs> to my wife, you know, uh, yeah. that particular night or evening, yeah, you know, he, you know, he, he, he grabbed himself, he gave us a finger, he cursed us out. Really? He was, really? Oh, he was a real sweetheart, real charmer. <laughs> <laughs> I was so enraged. Yeah. Oh, uh, I was so. I mean, <laughs> looking back in retrospect, I remember the precise evening 
that my mind, yeah, which is powerful, just you know, short circuited and said, yeah. I don't know what to do. We're gonna find up. We're gonna find toe to toe. We're gonna box. We're gonna do it. Right. My mind was already altered by then. Yeah, and 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 that obviously had to be planned by him, right? I mean, that obviously. Oh, smart. Yeah, smart. Yeah. And, you know what? Experience. Yes. Yeah. And, and and so you're you're fighting this guy, and and you've talked about sort of you can tell everything from a fighter from his eyes, and particularly in the No Mas fight, sort of you know that that you saw something in his eyes that told you that this guy either didn't want to be there or was done or whatever. But um, t talk about that because I'm fascinated by that because I, I do stand up, and it's the same thing. Like if you watch another performer on stage, whether it's boxing or acting or music. The eyes say everything, and there are some times when you see a comedian up there struggling, and, the, and his eyes just are like, "What? When do I? When can I get off and get out of here?" You know, and I'm fascinated by that, and, and, and that whole psychology of that. Well, Paul, I I know a fighter knows in his dressing room if he's going to win or lose. Is that bowel rhythm? Is that you know? That if you look into a mirror, mm -hmm. especially with me, I look into a mirror. Mm -hmm. And if I see Sugar Ray Leonard, we're gonna we're, we're good. But if I see Ray Leonard, the civilian, I'm in yeah. trouble. Yeah. And the nights that I that I lost, I saw Ray Leonard. And what and was the what was the common in looking back, if you can, like those those nights where you saw Ray the civilian. What was it? Was it that you didn't feel like you trained enough? That you uh, weren't sure that you wanted to do it anymore? Like, what, was there a common thing that was coming up every time? The training. I mean, I train hard. Right. Very, very hard. So the, the training is the easy part for me. Yeah. It's it's my mind that if it's if it's considered an easy fight, then I don't have that that competitive cell, that competitive feeling. Uh, Duran, Duran, he short-circuited my my way of thinking because I was enraged, I was I was I was insulted, I was mad. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, from, I'm from the streets, and, I, and this guy talked like this to me in front of my wife. All those things there mm -hmm. play the role. And um, when you walk out there, it's it's like it's scary. It's like walking the plank. Right. Yeah, and, and he was an intimidating guy. There was also a time you I guess you guys were at a dinner at the Waldorf and you were he was eating a <laughs> he was eating a grapefruit like an like an animal apparently, like just biting right into it like the rinds and you're looking at this guy like what who is this guy? Like, talk, talk about that for I, a second. No, I didn't I didn't really see that part. I don't know where that came from. I didn't see that but at the Waldorf Historium where we held our first press conference. Right. That's when he was he was a monster. He was so bad. He was so, it was so funny now because we're friends now after all yeah. these years. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went to Panama and, uh, and I said, well, brother, why why why'd you hate me so much? He said, no, 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 my friend. I love you. He said, it was acting. I said, you, you're an Oscar winner. <laughs> you know, he, convinced, he, he convinced me. So uh, it was all acting. Uh well, he talks about in the in the ESPN Thirty for Thirty, which is a great documentary that people need to see, and and also read the book Four Kings. Is it's a fantastic book. Uh, the Four Kings is where he mentioned it's mentioned about the grapefruit, and he just like page sixty eight, I think. He just goes apparently he just was like an animal, like you said, and you just you had not seen anybody like this, and and you talk about that fight, that first fight, and how he intimidated you, and you know, and and 
And after that fight, you were at a crossroads because, and I'm really fascinated by this, that on the one hand, you're like, I got to go fight this guy again to get my honor back and whatever. But on the other hand, part of you kind of wasn't sure if you wanted to keep fighting. And, and what was the, what was going on in your mind at that time? And how did you decide to continue to fight? It was such, the first fight was such a brutal fight, total toe. I mean, I had, after the fight, I had contusions. I mean, I was beat up. Mm -hmm. um, he had knocked four of my front teeth back, which, I mean, I was oh, he, a mess. He did? He oh, knocked yeah. your, he not, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, then, you know, uh, after the fight, I was at my, my hotel, mm. and the doctor came in there to kind of use a needle to draw blood from my ears so it would not become cauliflower because it was so... It was, mm. blood vessels were sure were just destroyed. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't, you know, right away, naturally, you say, well, I don't want this anymore. Yeah. But I was 27 years old. I go to Hawaii, and I heal within three, four days. Yeah. And I said to myself, and then the other fans would say, Sugar Ray, if you fought Durant Yoma, you'll beat him. So as I'm healing, I'm thinking, yeah, you're right, man. But I boxed, I did my thing. If I fought in my way, mm. I win the fight. Mm. And um, that's when I called my my partner, my attorney, my trainer. I said, Mike, book me another fight with Durant as soon as possible. Because then, Paul, mm. as a fighter, knowing that I, I have a, another option to approach this fight by boxing him as opposed to being stationary, mm -hmm. I, I could win. And, I, you know, I, I just, there's this part of me that just, I've always wondered this. You're in the ring. And you're punching and you're getting punched and you're getting punched in the face and you're getting, he's working the body and you, your eyes swollen and your ears. Do you just, is there ever a time, I've always wondered this, does a boxer ever go, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. I got to get out of it. Like, do you, did that ever come into your mind in the middle of a mat, whether you're winning or losing, just going, there's got to be an easier way to make a living. Like it just. There, there, there comes a time. Yeah. Whether it's amateur or professional, yeah. also professional because you know you always realize you always think that you're not getting as much as you are worth. Mm. Um, you know, especially when you're down a couple rounds, a few rounds. If you uh, if you uh, your left eye is closed, if, if your, your hand hurts, it's mm -hmm. when those, if that's when that time that questions your heart or your brain and say, I don't need this. I mean, it's worth it. Yeah. But it is worth it. It really is worth it. And that's when the great fighters, um, they come come up, they, they, they blossom. Mm -hmm. Because the question, do you want more? Most yeah. fighters say no. They say no. Right. They don't go for it. They right. become conservative as far as punches are concerned. As far as they, the risk factor of going in there to take a punch, to take two punches, get one punch off. I mean, it's... It's really psychology. It's it's the heart. You're testing the heart and the mind. Right. And and I think that that escapes a lot of people who aren't boxing aficionados or big fan or follow it closely because they think, well, it's just train, train, training. Get in there, and you're kind of like a like you know, just go crazy and punch your brains out and whatever. But but all of this stuff that happens ahead of time, and also getting in your own head, and as a performer, as a stand-up who. It's not like boxing in the sense of you getting fought, but it's kind of you alone, you know, in stand-up. It's like, it's just you and the audience. And if the, I always say, 
if I don't have a good set, it's usually because I got in my own way up there. I overthought. I didn't go with my instincts. I wasn't listening to what the audience was reacting to. I wasn't in the right place mentally. I've had a couple sets where I was in that dressing room, as you said, so to speak, and kind of looked in the mirror and just like wasn't in the right place. And and do you do you have somebody or have you had in your life of uh, whether it's your wife or your you know my trainer or 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 you know uh, Angelo Dundee like somebody or just psychologically that you would turn to sometimes and go, man, I'm worried about this one or I'm not not feeling right. Like how how do you get your head right if it's not right? That, too, is another good question. It's never really been asked that way. Um, you know, when I was training for the Hagler fight, when I came out of uh, out of unemployment, I don't say retirement, fight <laughs> 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 Hagler. Right. And training, and my first, my first few days of training was just relentless, and they were, my sparring partners were beating me up, and I came home one day. I walked to the house. My wife looked at me and said, uh, you, are you upset that you said you want to fight Hagler? And I said, what are you talking about? First of all, I, got, I became very defensive because, you know, what is she talking about? Right. But she was right. You know, I, it, you know, it, it's all, you know, Paul, it's all psychology. It's all mental. And what so were you, plays, you, you... I should it, say it plays a part in it. Absolutely. I mean, I think in, in, in any aspect of life, no matter what you do, and in relationships, too, not just in work. Yes, everything, everything. It, it's the mind is the most powerful thing. And, and so what is it that your wife detected that you were unsure of your decision, whether that, you know, you just for people who don't know, this is an amazing story. Here's a man. He's in, quote unquote, unemployment, five years, no tune up fight, decides he's going to fight Mar Marvin Hagler, who, who is no no slouch. Uh, no, no real tune-up fights other than sort of private tune-up fights, which I think is interesting, right. and I'd love to hear your strategy behind that in a second. And and you saw something in his fight against Mugabe that said, "I can beat Hagler." When you were working the Mugabe fight, tell people what you saw in that fight that told you that. Well, I was I was watching the Mugabe um, mm. fight with with Marvin Hagler, um, and I noticed that the guy who was a slugger was. At times, I'm boxing Marvin Hagler. Mm. And I said, hold on, hold on, back up, rewind this tape. I'm <laughs> a better boxer than this guy. Yeah. And I could, I could do the same thing. Yeah. Um, and when I, um, I, I called my attorney, I said, Mike, I don't want to fight Hagler. He said, Ray, have you been drinking? I said, yes, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> and he said, let's talk when you get home and uh, in a decent hour. And I got home, and we talked about it, and it all became a reality. So in that moment, see, this is, the, this is the thing that I'm fascinated by. What is the thing at that point in your life that you're missing? Okay, you're a world champ, revered by, I mean, look, our, our dear friend Darren McAfee and Paul Guest, who you work with, want just joke about how it takes 20 minutes in Vegas to get from the elevator to the, to the front door because everybody is stopping you for a picture and autograph and you're so generous and, and, and such a great guy and you say yes to everybody. So you have everything in your life. You've got a family. You're five years out and you see this guy and you're like, you know what, I'm going to go back in and get my head bashed in again. Is yeah. that because you miss the adulation, the cheering of the 12 or 15, 20,000 people? Is, is, do you miss the press conferences? Like, in your mind, like, what brings you back to that five years later? 
I'm gonna try to clarify this yeah. the best I can, Paul. Yeah. It's it's that and much, much more. Uh-huh. You know, because when I decided to come back, people thought, well, they stated it's greed, it's money, he wants more money. It that 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 was not the issue. Yeah. That was not the that didn't have a bearing on my decision making. Yeah, you don't seem you don't seem like the kind of guy that's motivated by money. I mean, I don't really, I, I mean, don't know you well. well I turn, stuff, you know. I turn, but Paul, I turned pro for money to help my parents. Both right. my parents were sick. Right. That was the only I turned professional. Mm-hmm. But to go back to that way and risk um, getting slaughtered by Hagler or you know mm-hmm. getting hurt, seriously getting hurt, whatever. I I was thirty years old. I had retired when I was in my twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, again, money wasn't the factor. I I just you know what it was. This was for me. My ophthalmologist said, you know what, Ray, if you want to go to if you want to go back to the ring, you can because your left eye, which was operating on, will be stronger than your right eye. Mm-hmm. Listen, I had, so I, I had some solid medical advice. Yeah, you were dealing with it. You were dealing with a detached retina in one eye, and then you had a, a in your other eye had a loose retina. And I remember, all, I remember seeing all this on TV as a kid and watching this and going, honestly, I say this out of respect. I remember saying, this guy's out of his mind. Like he could go, he could go blind. He could go, you know. Most just, people thought, but it wasn't. You know what, that and what looking back at it, I mean, it's scary and it's stupid. You know, it's almost stupid and outrageous. But then yeah. the kind of person or athlete I was back then. Mm. I was optimistic. You know, yeah. I, I was going to do the impossible. Yeah. And I was going to train, I was going to train, give myself the best chance of winning. Mm-hmm. And I, this fight was choreographed. This whole fight from day one was choreographed. In what then sense? What happened? I never, and if I go back, I never gave Hagler a reason to dislike me. Like at the press conferences, I never said, you know, he's a bum and I can beat him. I would say, you know what, this is a great champion. I want, I want to thank him for giving me the opportunity to fight for his title. He's a great father. He's a great husband. Mm-hmm. He's a philanthropist. He's, he's a sweetheart of a guy. So when he gets to the podium, he can't get there and say I'm an asshole. You know? <laughs> so, right. So the idea know? was not to poke the bear, so to speak. There you go. Day. Exactly. Right. Right, which is, yeah, and, and sort of lull him into a false sense of security in some way and maybe kind of, and kind of maybe he doesn't, he, maybe he doesn't uh, approach it with uh, too much aggression, if you will. But people that understand fighters, great fighters, especially like guys like Hagler, Hearns, Durant, they feed off the aggression. Right. For me, I, I don't have the aggression. I have desire. Mm. Their aggression, if, if they don't like you and they make sure they don't like you before the fight, Mm-hmm. Trying harder. All right, so um, it's my mother's birthday last week, and I'm just like, what am I going to send her? You know, she's 82 or 5 or I'm not sure. Uh, I try not to keep track of that stuff. Details. Anyway, she always gets flowers from us, and I'm thinking, you know, I got to mix it up. And someone told me about Sherry's Berries, and folks, it was such a hit. Uh, you don't need a holiday to send a delicious treat. It's the easiest way to show someone you're thinking of them. Uh, really delicious strawberries uh, dipped in uh, dark chocolate, white chocolate. It was crazy. Like, a, and, 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 and she's just like, oh, my God, they were so juicy. They were so delicious. It was a huge hit, okay? So send giant dipped strawberries from Sherry's Berries for only $19.99. Unbelievable. That's over a 40% 
savings. Go to berries.com, click on the microphone, and type in Mercurio, M-E-C-U-R-I-O. I'm telling you they're going to be a hit. My mother, I think, actually likes me again. That's how big a hit it was. Uh, they're delicious. They're huge. They're juicy. The chocolate is the best that you can get your hands on and your fingers on and your lips on. It's just it's just a great product and was a big hit with my mom. And I know it's going to be a big hit with anybody you send it to. So now here's the only way to get this special 1999 Sherry's Berries offer. Visit berries.com, okay? B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot com. Click on the microphone in the top right corner and type in Mercurio, my last name, M-E-C-U-R-I-O. You've got to see these enormous berries for yourself. They're unbelievable. You could literally put your head on them. They're like a pillow. They're a beautiful thing. Go to berries.com, click on the microphone, and type in Mercurio. Don't wait. Order now. $19.99. 40% savings. You're going to be a hero. I'm telling you. Like well, it's, it's, it's a great point because in the 30 for 30, uh, uh, driving in his car in Panama, um, I know you see, he said it was acting, but he, uh, Duran said that he wanted to break you into pieces was the phrase he used because you were sort of this American idol. You were this like Superman in America and he didn't like that. And, it, and, it, and it's obviously he used that as fuel in some way in his approach to fighting you in Montreal in the first fight. And I, and I can understand that, you know, like he fought with a chip on his shoulder, which is kind of a good way to fight, I guess. Right. But now that, now that's natural. I mean, that for Durant, he, mm. he, he did not like me. Period. <laughs> but what not, what's not to like, I mean, you're not, you're, you're a great and not a, not to, I mean, j- no. just that he just felt like you were getting all the adulation and he wasn't. What, what, what was but, it? The problem was most fighter fans, and I, and I do understand that, but it's not my fault. Mm. What is Hearns having to? He said, "Well, well, when I, my first professional fight, you know, I made uh, six hundred dollars. Ray made forty thousand mm. dollars. Hey, I want the Olympics. I was, I was the exposure I had made me more of a star. I mean, that's just cold hard facts, Paul. Well, and you also were savvy with the money. Like there were." opportunities where you could have taken a guarantee and instead you opted to take the gate and the gate ended up being 80 you took 80 percent of the gate and walked away with 10 million dollars instead of 1.5 million dollars and it's like and you're one of the few guys in boxing who've been really good with his money frankly and yeah and no one should 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 slight you for that they're good for you you know but but thank god i had smart people around me mike trainer karen kendra i mean i you know uh don gold don glad i mean i had people who even to this day, watch my back. Mm. You know? Why is, why, why is it in boxing that it's so prevalent, you know, that Mike Tyson's, Evander Holyfield, the list goes on and on. These guys, and you see it now with like Floyd Mayweather Jr., the guy walks around with stacks of $100 bills and throws them around like they're confetti. Like, what is it about boxing that people squander their money so much? Why well, so much that sport than any other sport? Now, because I can point to like, Look, NFL players that come from the mean streets, just like boxers and get a lot of money, or NBA players, or whatever it might be. Why? Why does it? So why is it, in your opinion, so prevalent in your sport? Because getting back, Paul, the boxing is a poor man's sport, and, and, the, and the guys who participate and excel, we're not college grads, and I admit that. Yeah. But also, it's more prevalent because there's so many great. There's been so many great fighters who falling by the wayside when their career was over. Yeah. But it, it, it happened for the most part. We all know it happens across the board. Mm-hmm. Whether you're an actor, whether you're an actor, um, a 
football player, but it just you just hear it, the story is more pounding and compelling. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then you've got your entourage. I mean, it's more so in your sport than others too. The entourages and and why has that been? Why do entourages so prevalent in boxing? I, and not, love, and it, I used to love my entourage because I always want my boys come with me. But it gets to a point you start counting numbers and everything. I, and you know, the first my first entourage, my biggest entourage, was probably about forty people. Jesus, and then tomorrow. Yeah. And what do you yeah. do with 40 people, Ray? Why do you need 40 people? You got a guy to you'll tie figure, you? You'll figure something out. <laughs> the person who carries the water, then the person who carries a bucket for the water. It's, 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 it's ridiculous, man. It there's, ridiculous. A guy, there's a guy that just runs to Staples to get pens, and there's another guy that runs to Staples to get pencils, right? There's oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I had those guys. You know, my brother, my brother's Roger and Kenny were. Hey, Ray, you know, can, can Jackie come with us, man? Can Eddie come with us, man? And Roger, can Rob come with us? And Paul come with us? Yeah, yeah, come on, come on, come on. Well, see, so I'm fascinated by this. Is it, the, and I don't mean your brothers in particular, but just in general and the third person, like, is it these people kind of preying on the niceties of uh, somebody like yourself? Do they use guilt? Is it like, what? why Why can't you say no? No, but, but you know, it, it, it's the norm for the most part. For, for me, it was normal because I wanted my guys, yeah. my brother, I want to make everyone happy. Yep. Um, you know, until my 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 attorney said, "Well, you know, you're not gonna be happy until you start using the word no." <laughs> and I and I started using that no when I lost to Durant in Montreal at eighty. 1980. And, yeah, um, you cut your entourage from like 20, 26 people to six or something, right? You yeah, it was because, you know what, Paul? Because there were distractions. Unnecessary yeah. distractions. You know, some guy wanted to go to the uh, shopping mall. Someone wanted to go to the store. McDonald's. I mean, they need a car. They need, they need a ride. Hey, we're not here for McDonald's. We're not here for <laughs> Right. Hey, you know? Right. We're not. Big fight ahead of me. Yeah, this isn't Disney World with my kids. Um, yeah. So when you fought Hagler, I mean, the, I, I, if I know, understand this correctly from my research, the original fight plan was for you to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him and just try to cut him. But you had to change those plans about five days in because your sparring partner, Quincy Taylor, like, oh my almost... God really almost knocked you out. Talk about that and then what adjustment, talk about what your plan was, what Taylor did to you to make you change your plan and what that new plan was going into that fight. Well, I went doing, you know, as training proceeded, mm -hmm. I was getting better, stronger, and I started to break guys down, just walk them down and break them down. Mm -hmm. And in my head, I'm saying, now I'm going to just walk Hackler down, play him toe-to-toe, -to -toe, he has a lot of scar tissue and, and very susceptible to cuts. Mm. And I tried that last five days before the fight. I got hit by Quincy Taylor and nearly knocked out. I mean, nearly knocked out. I was, and thank God I had the experience to kind of kind of cover it up, play it off. Mm -hmm. And also he backed off too. Mm -hmm. But after that punch, the whole place, the gym got quiet. The car, the car ride back to my house got quiet. I mean, they all knew I would get blasted. Yeah. And I just said to myself, you know what? I got mad with everyone. I said, you know what? He, he, I'm a boxer. Mm -hmm. I mean, thank God that happened. See, but, but, but see, here's what's confusing to me. You did that in Montreal against Duran, and it didn't work. Why would you want to go down that road again with Hagler, who was 
who's I'm from Rhode Island. I know he's a Massachusetts guy. We used to follow him closely. Like, why would you want to go toe to toe? I'm not saying you can't box. I'm not challenging your manhood here. I'm just trust me. But like you tried that. You got pissed at Duran for the way he was acting and treating your wife and all that other stuff. When you try to go toe to toe, it didn't work for you in Montreal. Weren't you thinking in your back of the mind, well, wait a minute, I did the, try this once already. I shouldn't do this again this way? You know, Paul, at some point, and that's a good question, but at some point, common sense is not really... That's the common sense. You wouldn't be in the ring, right? <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> you ask your own question. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess this goes back to, like, instinct. And what I said earlier about doing stand-up is like, you got to listen to your gut and your instinct and, and, and be in tune with that. You do know it, me. You know, we had this intuitive uh, uh, thing right. that allows us to be comfortable with a certain decision that we make. So when you get hit like that by your sparring partner, I always wonder too. Like, are your sparring partners supposed to go a hundred percent at you, or are they, or is this? My guys, that? I think. Yeah, my guys do. And, and, and so they it's not. A, it's not a no-no for not to almost knock the champ out in inspiring. That's okay. It's like it's, you got to protect yourself. You're a big boy kind of thing, right? Right, yeah. I mean, because they serve no purpose if they hold back. Right, right. How, right. How, yeah, I mean, how do I know how dangerous, which I found out, how <laughs> dangerous it is to, to do, right. you know, to drop my left hand or to, to dip too, too deep. I mean, yeah. Well, it's, um, and I, see, I miss that too, the camaraderie. I miss that training. I miss that choreography mm. and challenging it and getting into the heads of my opponents. When you're studying a film on a boxer that you're going up against, especially somebody the first time, and you know that they have a certain style, a certain technique, uh, I kind of liken it to the NFL, right? So you put your defensive scheme uh, together against the offense, but then you, I always wonder, like, well, now, what if the offense knows, so the boxer knows that you're studying him and that he tends to, like, lead with his jab and blah, blah, blah. So maybe he's going to change up what he does so that your plan, based on what he's done in the past, won't match what he's going to do now. Like, how, or, is, or do you reach a point where you can only overthink this so much? Like, how do you plan for somebody who might change his plan going in? You know, um, when a fighter, say, for example, me and Tommy Hearns, uh, I'm think I'm watching tapes of him. I'm studying him, right. looking at uh, things that I could uh, take advantage of. Mm -hmm. So I look at things that are very high risk factors, like um, standing in front of Tommy with a with his big right hand, uh, getting through his long, incredible left jab. Um, you know, not being efficient. I mean, all those things. Mm -hmm. And Tommy's saying, "Well, Ray, I look at Ray. Ray's fast and." Where it can't hit, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's like a ch it's chess, it's a mm -hmm. chess match. Yeah, and 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 that chess and that game is changing, sort of moment to moment and round to round, right? Like so, for example, when you started that fight with Hagler, uh, I think the feeling was that he looked stiff and mechanical. He was actually like he he, he started a couple of rounds in it with a different stance. To talk about like what how that fight started and did it start the way you thought it was? And was he boxing the way you thought he would? And then what adjustments that you made through that fight? Going back to breaking down um, Marvin Hagler, um, I had sent a, a spy to his training camp. and <laughs> You did? I didn't know you guys did that. Really? That's oh, awesome. Yeah. Wow. And then the guy, my guy came back and said that Hagler 
for some reason, believe that the first fighter to the center of the ring wins the fight. And um, the so first fighter to the center. Wait, wait, wait. The first fighter to the center of the ring. Literally, yeah. like the bell rings, and whoever walks out fastest to the center will yeah. win that fight. He believed that, but not naturally. It wasn't a big factor, but it was one of those nuances. It's just one of those things that he he believed in. And yeah. I think it happened even subconsciously with him. The first fighter to the center of the ring, which at times he tried, he almost rushes to the center of the ring. <laughs> but I, I was being I was being him there to the center <laughs> of the ring. And uh, again, also, psychology. This is psychology. psychology. Right? This is the. But Paul, get back to what I was talking about. I didn't upset him. I didn't create an aggression. Right. Because I told people, I said, you know what? During the press conference, I said, you know, it's such an insult, but you guys just look at him as being a slugger. This guy can box. You know what? He's a better boxer than you guys give him credit to him, credit for. And at the end of the press tour, the last thing he said at the podium was that I'm going. I may surprise you. I may outbox Ray. Oh my God! You suckered him into that, didn't you? Oh my God! Oh my God! Yeah. You should be a used car salesman. You'd be great. <laughs> so you to get him away from pounding you, you got him to buy. Exactly. Oh, you played to his. You played to his ego. That's brilliant. Oh my if God! You go, if you really go back and watch the first couple of rounds, you'll notice that he was trying to outbox me. He was not being relentless. He was not being aggressive. He was like, I'm a better boxer than this guy. Oh, that's I remember the commentator saying that and then and, and reading up on this a little bit more that everything we were saying, like he wasn't doing a typical Marvin where I remember when they announced that fight, I'm like, Marvin Hagler's gonna tear this guy apart. Although uh, the general consensus, rightfully so, felt that way. My brothers, you know, I, I was paying my brothers for training camp. They all believed I was gonna squash Ben Hagler. Really? Even your brothers. Oh, for sure. <laughs> they didn't say it. But expressions on their face, I say, uh, what do you guys think? Well, you know, you look good. You look good. <laughs> you look good. What does that mean? <laughs> you look good. Maybe we should take a vacation good. and rethink this whole thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So now you're in the first couple of rounds and you know, so now you've got this guy kind of where you want him, right? You've got him playing your game instead of the game he normally plays. So now you're just boxing him. and But then... He starts to go toe to toe with you, and you do that too. This is the goes back to what you said at the beginning of the interview about being a chameleon. Within a fight, you're changing your process. Talk about that a little bit. It changes instantaneously. It, uh, you know, you you know, if you have an A game, you must have a B game, and a C game, and a D game. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first strategy doesn't always necessarily work. Right. You got to be able to, and again, I mean, I mean, with me. I would revert back to a different style. I would counterpunch. I would, I would, I would um, fight slow, toe to toe. I did a number of things that allowed me to uh, to break Hagler down. I had to yeah. nullify his offense. Yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, because in in the No Mas fight, I think there's a, a a pretty big consensus out there that what you did in the seventh round, where you just started to kind of taunt him. With like oh. sticking your face in, and I was just watching that again with my son today. My son's twelve, and he's like, "Oh my god!" And he goes, "I can't believe this. I could never stick my face that close to that guy. I'd be so afraid he'd punch it up." And people feel that going into the eighth round, which is the round where he he gave, he threw in the towel, that when uh, that you knew that the fight, everybody knew the fight was won because after taunting him like that, most fighters would have been in such a pissed off mood that it would have come out and just killed you. 
he had nothing there and that that you really like took his you took him out of this psychologically by that do you agree with that without question that was what you said was what happened yeah i had him to a point was that it was night and day from the very first fight the first fight i was there the whole time for 15 rounds then in new orleans the rematch um he couldn't hit me mm. uh, and then all of a sudden the little you know gestures with the chin the <laughs> punch, those, yeah. things, those things just happened they were they were just spontaneous yeah um i just they just, it just happened mm-hmm. but i saw the expression on his face then i heard the the, the fans the audience laughing and I looked oh, at you, oh you could you oh, could you could hear the laugh oh, it was hilarious <laughs> and they were laughing and i'm like then i looked at Duran, and his eyes were like i don't need this and i think i feel that he threw his hands up in total humiliation frustration without realizing the ramifications they had yeah. in his career he threw his hands i don't need this anymore he you know just, it's, it's it's funny because right after you know it's confirmed that he just quit there's a there's a very quick shot of his face where he kind of looked like he almost wanted to take it back and keep fighting. Yeah, like he, exactly. He looked very like unsure of his decision. And oh wait, what have I done? Can I can I erase that? Can we rewind the tape and do it? Like it just, it, it you feel bad for the guy on some level. I mean, maybe you don't, but like it just sort of. No, like, no, no. I I did. I mean, um, I really I really did, mm-hmm. especially when he threw his hands up, and then because then all of a sudden. If you look at the tape again, he, he is not, he's not really, he's so confused about what just happened. Yeah. I don't think he realized what he did. Yeah. Because it happened so quick. Yeah. And that, that's a moment that's had an effect on the lives of both of you for years, which is, uh, I really encourage people to watch the 30 for 30 and you go back and visit with him to get closure on you know, sort of that moment, because that moment stole your thunder in a lot of ways, I think, in that, you know, uh, instead of saying you beat, uh, Ray beat Duran, it was Duran quit. And I agree with you. You say in the 30 for 30, like, I got him to the point where he wanted to quit. I I was the catalyst for that. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it bothered me back then because, you know, I'm I'm young and I just got my title back, yet... I'm not really getting credit for it, and the fact that yeah. it wasn't about what he what it was it was more so about what he did as opposed to what I made him do. Yeah, but see, this is the thing about human nature, where on some level, and I don't mean this directed just at you, but so, on some level, it's never enough for us as human beings, right? Like, so here you are, you beat the guy, but it's not perfect enough, right? Like you beat him. And people, some people are saying he quit instead of you beat him, and that bothers you. And like, that's the competitor in you, I think. Am I right? That that's the guy that always wants to be at the top and perfect at what he does, which is not a bad thing. You know what, Paul? It's, uh, a writer asked me, a sports writer asked me many years ago. I was like, I don't know, 14, 15, 16, maybe. Yeah. And he said, What do you want to be? And I, and I, I anticipated he wanted me to hear me say, I want to be a boxing champion. I said, I want to be special. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that, or what I meant by that, was have impact on on, on people and, and and fans and things of that nature. Because only Ollie has that. Ollie has that that thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, Ollie, I mean, across the globe. You were you were. I always have said it would have been fascinating if you and Ali boxed in the same era. 
Talk about two like dynamic fighters, but also great personalities and great ambassadors for the game, and just guys that you want to like. Like it would have, God, the, hey, the the world would just have, you were Ali for my generation, right. you know, and just in terms of all of that, and and you talk about doing things, and I do want to mention that you have this great foundation uh, for juvenile diabetes, which is a, a big part of your life, and how's that going these days? And I know. You and your wife work very hard on that. You know what? It's been um, it'd be five years now, wow. and uh, my, my partner, uh, B Rally and Company, mm-hmm. they they've been an extremely good partner and a supporter and advocate of mine. Um, we have a, 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 a incredible uh, boxing show um, at the Santa Monica Pier at this coming May twentieth. Okay, and uh, it's been wonderful. Celebrities, athletes. I mean, everyone comes out and um, uh, thank them all for their support. But it's been a wonderful thing. And also, I'm glad you brought this up, the fact that, you know, where I'm in my life now, it's like the next 12 rounds of my mm-hmm. career. Yeah. Uh, you know, in 2014, I, I started a uh, television and film production company mm-hmm. and uh, called Champ Productions. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of my first projects is, is a TV show I call Champ's Corner. And it's like where I analyze and break down, you know, sweet sounds of boxing, kind of like Bob Walters did done with him. With oh, that'd color. be that'd be so great. I, I'm, I'm convinced. I'm really you know, excited. Yeah, the, the, you know, my podcast. What I try to do is have really interesting people on and talk about their process because you know the average guy out there driving to work, who's a plumber, or whatever, it's like, what wants to know, like, why do you want to get punched in the face? How do you strategize a fight? Like, you know, there's. I, I think that's great. That that sounds like a. That, I would watch that show every day. That's an awesome idea. Yeah, then I have a, 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 a champ collection of, of, of T-shirts and apparel that's mm-hmm. coming out uh, this fall. Okay. And I, you know, I've just been a lucky man. I've been a very blessed man. Rick Martin is my is my partner, my buddy, mm-hmm. my go-to guy. Yeah, you know what? I'm blessed man. Like I keep saying, I'm a blessed man. Yeah, but you earned it, and you're a good guy. And I believe in karma. And good stuff happens to good people too. You know, you always acted with a level of dignity, and and you know, which you know you don't often find in. Uh, with people who achieve at a high levels, whether it's uh, sports figures, uh, entertainers, politicians, you have politicians out there tweeting pictures of their privates. You know what I mean? It's uh, you. Uh, where can people get the Champ Collection? Is it up for sale yet, or coming up soon? Is oh, there a website this, or anything? This fall. This fall. In fact, I would. I'm in the process of posting everything on all various social media networks, and uh, okay, I get word out to people. All right. Well, May twentieth. Santa Monica Pier. People can go and see this uh, this yeah. boxing uh, to to raise money for juvenile diabetes. Listen, I I'm gonna I, I know you're busy, but I'm gonna ask you this and put you on the spot. I want to do another one of these with you because there's 400 other things I could talk to you about that we didn't get to, but I don't want to take up all your time today. But maybe we can do another one of these down the road because this has just been so amazing and fascinating, and I really uh, it uh, I, I really Paul, appreciate it. Paul, let me tell you something. I thoroughly enjoyed this, and uh, even even being under the weather. Uh, I thoroughly enjoy talking to you, and I want to do this again. Thank I you, man. Myself. <laughs> I and and you know what? Maybe I'll uh, get in the ring with you, and we'll go a couple of rounds. No, no, no. Bad I idea. Don't think bad, you idea. Do bad idea. Bad idea. <laughs> bad, 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 bad. But you know what, Paul? In all honesty, yeah. you ask questions that's never been asked. You ask There's the kind it. of questions that the fans, you know, they want to know. They are not privy to, and that's why I enjoy this so much. Oh, well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Well, there's a whole lot more, and uh, there's just things about your life, and you talk about your alcoholism and recovering and, and how that 
how you used that point of view to deal with Duran when you went back to visit him 30 years later. I thought it was so touching, and I'd love to talk, explore about some of that with you. And so we'll, we'll do another one of these. And it's just, you're just a really fascinating guy that people should get to know. I mean, the world knows you, but, you know, obviously get to really know you on a deeper level. So I just yeah, want to... Oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say I wanted to thank you, but go ahead. But, Paul, I, I want to talk again about the next 12 rounds of my, of my career, of my life. And I want to talk about those items, those things that's, that's very dear to me, whether it's my foundation or, or, or have joined uh, various uh, organizations to, to impact people. Now we impact kids, we impact lives. And we'll talk more about that, and uh, for sure I look forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the great Sugar Ray Leonard, I'm pretty sure he's not going to get back in the ring again. I think he'll get talked out of it. So stay safe, stay well. Uh, good luck with the foundation. May 20th, Santa Monica Pier. Go and support juvenile diabetes. And uh, he's got the Champ Collection coming out, which you can see in the fall. And he's going to come back on the podcast. I got you. I got you cornered. Literally, I got you cornered there, buddy. You got to come back now. You, I got you, you cornered. <laughs> Paul, you have the numbers, buddy. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Have a great day, my friend. Thank you again. You you have a global entry pass. All right. Sounds good. Hey, when I Thanks, come to buddy. LA, you and I and Darren and Paul guest, we got to go uh, have dinner. I love it, Dave. All right. We'll do those it. Guys, those guys at LAG are my buddies. They take care of me. And uh, yeah. They take care of me, too. They're good guys, LEG Digital. So, all right, buddy, have a great day, and thanks again. I'll talk Thank to you, you soon. All right, bye-bye. All right, so that was my interview with Sugar Ray. How amazing is this guy? Just why he keeps getting back in the ring, wanting to be special. Just really cool insight into what makes a, a champion tick. A really terrific guy. And we're going to do another interview with him. You heard him. I got him to commit. And he can't back down. And if he does, I will beat him to a pulp. Uh, maybe with the help of uh, seven or eight other guys. Uh, but even then, we'll probably get our asses kicked. Uh, can't thank him enough for doing the podcast. Can't thank you enough for listening to the podcast. Come see me February 20th to the 22nd this week at the Baltimore Comedy Factory in Baltimore, Maryland, February 20th to the 22nd. And follow me on Facebook, Paul Mercurio, and on Twitter, at Paul Mercurio. And keep spreading the word on the podcast, people. Thanks again for tuning in. Take over one borough at a time. Secure our territory. Secure our turf. Because it's all our turf. Yeah!